When I was 30 years old, I had two cars. When I was 30 years old, I had two cars. I had a 1986 Chevrolet Nova, and I had a 1993 Saturn. The Nova was new when I had been in high school. The Saturn was about five or six years old, and I remember driving around thinking to myself, man, how cool would this be to own a 1998 brand new car? And I, I, you know, I would pass these people in these 98 cars, and I'd be like, I want one of those. And I kept, I would imagine myself behind the wheel of one of those new cars. And I, I just wanted one so bad. I have one now. I've got a 98 Mercury Sable. It just came about 12 years too late. <laughs> I remember, too, when I was in ninth grade, I wanted a girlfriend really bad. Oh, I wanted a girlfriend. I've told you about this. And her name was Amy, and she was blonde, and she was smart, and she played the clarinet. And, and I just thought, man, if I could start off high school and have a girlfriend, I would be set. It would be the most awesome high school experience ever. And my heart was telling me, this is it. She's the one. She's the one. If you had sat me down at that point in my life and looked me in the eye and said, Max, look, I know you like Amy. I know you think she's hung the moon. I know you think you really want a girlfriend, but based on how you treated Shelly just six months earlier, and that was such a big crash and burn, your skin's still off your body. I don't think you can handle a woman, let alone a teenage woman in high school. <laughs> if you had said that to me at that point in time, do you know what I would have said to you? You're an idiot! It is obvious, it's so clear, and my heart is telling me, and it is so right. And when I asked my friend to ask my friend to ask Amy if she liked me the way I liked her, she was like, no. <sighs> I know. I've brought along some friends today, and I want you to see them. I brought along five friends, six friends. From... <laughs> yeah, I'm not into Ariel, okay? This is from, this is from Maddie has, Maddie has a lunchbox, Maddie has a backpack, Maddie has like 50,000 things that have her peeps on them, and these are her peeps. These are the Disney princesses. These women will lead you straight to the pit of hell, <laughs> okay? And here's why, here's why. And... And they all have a story, but I'm only going to tell you one of their stories today. Just one. I'm only going to, because I don't have time to do seven movies, but I can do one movie, okay? So there's this girl, and she's not understood by her parents in her town, and they just don't get her, and they don't understand her. And if she could just get out on her own, if she could just find and discover her real self. And so she finds herself in this new place, this place she's never been before, and she meets this boy, and oh my gosh, he's so amazing, and she likes him and he likes her and I'm, again I'm only going to tell you one of them I can't tell you all seven movies but but she they get they're like oh I'm so and then something really bad happens and it's like is she going to lose him is she going to miss out is she not going to be able to go back home again and there's usually a fairy a crab an old wizard somebody who will lean in lean in and say say to her say to her just follow your heart just follow your heart, and it will all be okay. 
this is a lie straight from the pit of hell. No, I'm only half teasing, okay? But some of you are like, what? <laughs> are you kidding me? Follow your heart? Follow your heart? That is like so stupid, and I've done it so many times. <laughs> and it always ends up not the way I thought it would end up. I had a friend who uh, had gotten to a point in her marriage where she showed up one day in our kitchen and she, these words came out of her mouth. I'm done. I'm done. I, I just, I don't feel in love anymore with him. I don't know. I'm not even sure I like him. And I'm pretty sure that if I could just get somebody different, I would be so better off. And she did. She, she walked away from him. She walked away from her job. She moved three states away. And she was convinced, I'm going to find Mr. Right, and I'm going to totally lock it in, and it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. And today, 10 years later, she's alone. The, the place she didn't want to be is where she ended up because she followed her heart. I have another set of friends who, uh, in 2005, bought their dream home. And his parents were like, uh, it seems like it's a little bit more than you should probably, you know, uh, you know, you're not quite there in terms of your overall income, but, you know, uh, we could see it. And her parents were like, what, are you dumb? <laughs> but they didn't understand. They just didn't understand. They didn't understand all the things it would do and everything else. And so they bought their dream home. And then 2008 hit, and in 2009 she was laid off, and in 2010 they lost their home. And what happened in that mix is they wanted that so bad that the, their heart sent a signal up to their brain and their brain became a justifier and started coming up with all these reasons why the heart could get what it wanted so the heart and the person could be happy. And so they had all this stuff like, it's got a fenced-in yard and we have a dog and the dog's going to be able to run free and it's got all these bedrooms and when we have kids someday, they'll all have bedrooms of their own and we, we won't need a trade-up house. We're just going to be in this house forever. The dog died six months after they moved in, <laughs> right? Okay, they followed their heart. They followed their heart. I have another friend who made a job change and, and his wife was totally on him all the time. You are underpaid. You are not home enough. This is not working out. This is absolutely ridiculous. You can do so much better. And then there was a comp. So he started putting out feelers and then he got a, in a, into a conversation with a company in another state. And they were like, man, you are amazing. He's like, I know. And they hired him under the premise of, you're going to come in and launch this new initiative for us, and it's going to be great and awesome. And they hired him, and they brought him in. And six months later, they fired him. And people who had been had their best interests at heart were like, well, be careful. He followed his heart. I could tell stories like this all morning long. I have heard and done way too many things, and I have way too many stories. See, when we let our heart lead, we turn into the worst used car salesman in the world, and we start lying to ourselves. We do. The heart sends a signal up to the brain. And the brain activates justification mode. And in justification mode, the brain comes up with all the reasons why the heart should get what the heart wants. This plays out with coffee makers. Well, you know, with this coffee maker, <laughs> with this coffee maker, with this car, and you don't believe me? I had a friend who had a Chevy Suburban, big gas-guzzling Chevy Suburban, and when, the, and when the $4 gas 
$4 a gallon gas hit, he was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not paying $100 to fill my car with gas. This is the most stupidest thing in the world. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a car. So did he, did he buy a Prius? No. Did he buy a two or $3,000 used Toyota Corolla? No. Do you know what he bought? A $37,000 mini SUV. When we were at lunch one day, I took out my phone calculator, and I was like, so let's do the math. And I did the math, and I calculated that if he owned that car the rest of his life, he would never make up the, diff the savings in gas. Never. Right. <laughs> today, I want to, today, I want to tell you something that's countercultural. Today, I want to caution you, I want to warn you that your heart is not always your best friend, that sometimes your heart will take you to the place you most want to avoid. And if you're under the age of 25, I'm telling you, today's worth the price of admission, seriously. Because you, if, you if you take this to task, if you take it and you own it and you, and you live it and you practice what I'm going to talk about today, you could spare yourself a lot of misery that a lot of us have the stories of regret that we could tell you about. Um, to do that, I want to set the stage by talking about the doctrine of sin. What? I know. It's actually one of three reasons I'm a Christian. When, when I have moments of doubt, the Christian doctrine of sin is one of those things that I'm like, yep, that's dead on. Science cannot explain all the stupid stuff we do to ourselves and to each other. It just can't. I'm sorry. But the Christian doctrine of sin, I'm like, that's it right there. <laughs> okay, so in moments of doubt, I turn to the doctrine of sin. And, and Calvinists totally are all over this. So for those of you that are relatively new to organized Christianity, I need to do a little theology lesson. Okay, so you have Calvinists, and you never want to have a Calvinist at a party because they're wet blankets. <laughs> You just don't. They're wet blankets, and, and they're fatalists, and it's, they're just no fun. And then there's Arminians. Arminians are people who are like, you know, yeah, God and, you know, life, and, but you know what? You make your own choices. You live your life. You know, you just you do what you do, and nobody's throwing knobs on you. You're not some kind of puppet. You know, that's how life plays out. But then the poor Calvinists are like, no, God's sovereign. God's in control of everything. There's nothing that happens that God doesn't want to have happen. <laughs> and so, you know, the, never have a Calvinist come with you to take over the world because they're like, well, it's either going to happen or not. There's nothing I can do about it, you know, okay? So, but Calvinists are dead on when they talk about sin because they claim that we underestimate our ability to lie to ourselves. We underestimate our ability for self and capacity for self-deception. And in that sense, the Calvinists are dead on. And if you don't believe me, I want to take us to one verse in the Bible. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I'm going to have them put that up there, okay? So I want to tell you about a man that you've all heard his song, Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was a, right, was no friend of mine, okay? So the human heart, he says this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Jeremiah knew how bad it was. Let me tell you about this guy. Jeremiah was born and raised in a town called Anathoth. It was a small town northeast of Jerusalem, and he was called to be a prophet around 627 B.C. 
and he served 40 plus years in that capacity as a prophet. He lived long enough to see all the bad things that he predicted come true. How awesome is that? I told you we'd all be let off into captivity. <laughs> you know, okay? <laughs> Needless to say, his messages were not well received. He, he was not well liked. He was never voted best dressed, most liked. He lost all his hometown that he grew up in plotted to assassinate him. I know. <laughs> There's no going home again. Uh, he was persecuted. Uh, he only had two converts. Over the 40 years of ministry, only two people were like, Jeremiah, you are like a conduit for the Lord God Almighty. I mean, when you speak, it's almost as if God himself is speaking. I mean, I'm telling you, you're I'm just, just you're bringing it. It's painful, but man, it's God. Two people. Everyone else was like, loser! You know, the, the king ordered him to be put into a cistern at one point that, that had sort of dried out, but had it was mud in the bottom and he got stuck. I mean... He was despised, utterly despised. And he was given this message by God. And this was the message that Jeremiah, his main message, this was his message given by God to communicate to the people of Jerusalem and Israel. Here's the message. God is going to nuke your face off and he's going to use the Babylonians to do it. It's a great message. It really is. You ought to read the book of Jeremiah at some time. You can go, I'm so glad I live in America <laughs> where we don't have to worry about those kind of things. Okay? So God is going to nuke your face off, and he's going to use the Babylonians to do it. Jeremiah watched as his warnings went unheeded. He watched as the nation continued down its path toward this destination of judgment. He knew exactly where it was going to lead. And the funny thing is the king and the, the king prophets and all the advisors had all convinced themselves, oh, are you kidding me? This is so going to work. We don't need to worry about that God stuff from the Old Testament. We can totally get into an alliance with Assyria and Egypt. It's not going to cause any problem. Just worry, war, worry, war, worry, war. This is all going to work out. And at the end of the day, the Babylonians came and, and literally leveled the city. And Jeremiah was taken into captivity with some people down into Egypt. They fled to Egypt. It's no wonder that he concluded, can we put that verse up there? Uh, it's no wonder he concluded in chapter 17, verse 9, the human heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is. The heart, the Hebrew way of talking about our emotions and our will. Our emotions and our will, our ability emotionally and through our decisions to deceive ourselves is so huge, so huge, we underestimate it. This is a powerful theological statement. And if you don't believe me, let me do the practicality litmus test. Have you ever found yourself saying about someone else, what on earth was he thinking? What were they thinking? What possessed you to think that you could dot, 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 and not get burned alive? Well, see, they weren't thinking. They were feeling. And the heart said, oh, man, this is going to be so awesome. Once I get this car, this girl, this guy, this house, this coffee maker, it's going to be awesome. It's only true with Windows 8. <laughs> no. It's not, okay? I've done this 
I've gone down this road and, and followed my heart. Chris has done this. We've, a lot of us who are older have done this in this room. And today, 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 I'll, here's why this is so important. And Chris has got a story for why this is important to know and understand. So if there was a book in the Bible about the evils and wrongs of following your heart and letting that be your primary directive, then it would be the book of Christopher to be sandwiched in the, the, the minor <laughs> prophets and it would have a picture of me going, what was I thinking? Just exactly <laughs> like you said. <laughs> so following your heart really seems like a really good strategy at first. I mean, it's your deep feelings, you know, you've got this thing that's, that's tugging at you and it just won't leave you alone. And as a teenager especially, I was the absolute poster child for this dynamic. Um, I followed my heart about absolutely everything. And I started to get some really good results at first. I followed my heart about how hard to work at school and I got exactly the grades that I wanted. I followed my... <laughs> Uh-huh. Sometimes a teenager thinks he doesn't really need straight A's. How far down can I let that slide, you know? So it was a dance I was doing. <laughs> um, I followed my heart about what friends to hang out with. So then I'm running around and, and uh, getting in all kinds of trouble and committing all kinds of trouble and then avoiding getting in trouble for it and uh, learning how to be sneaky. Uh, these are all, I was following my heart. I was having a great time. And because I had a great time, that told me, hey, well, then the next time that you're trying to decide what to do or who, who to hang out with, well, just follow your heart. It's worked out for you so far, hasn't it? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I trusted my heart about what rules to break and had a lot of fun. Uh, when I was in high school, we had an exchange student from Germany. His name's Roland. A lot of you have met him because he, he came over uh, this past summer. Uh, so friendships really can last a really long time because high school was a long time ago. <laughs> That's why I cut my hair this short, so you won't know how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> so... Roland was my best friend. We went everywhere together. We were just absolutely inseparable. If we had been twin brothers, it wouldn't have surprised anybody. Our dynamic wouldn't have been any different. And so I really, really, really wanted to go study in Germany for a year. And that didn't work out. That's very expensive. So I said, okay, not studying. Okay. My senior year, I said, Mom, how about for a graduation present, you send me to Germany? She said, how about... You work all summer, or all school year, and then you can do that in the summer on your own dime. Because I can't afford to send you to Germany. So I did. That's what I did. I followed my heart. Roland was my best friend. And I wanted to go there more than anything in the world. So I got a job, and I worked hard, and I spent an amazing summer in Germany. I went to four different countries. Went to East Germany back when there was such a thing. Um, went all over the place. It was 1987. It was right before the wall fell. Um, so I had a, an absolutely great time, went and made it, made it under my own steam, on my own money, because I followed my heart. Wow, we're still in this land of good results and reasons that I keep getting reinforced that, hey, my heart's doing pretty good. My heart's doing pretty well. I can pretty much just decide what I want to do and go do it. This, this 
doing my own thing is working out really, really well. My dad was a lot like this too. And uh, not as a matter of blame, but I did learn from him. <laughs> but I did learn from him that being confident in yourself is an important thing. Now, here's the rub. We all know where I'm heading with this, right? I got some real bad decisions coming up that I haven't told you about yet. But at the time, it all seems great. It all seems grand. My heart's really paying off for me. I'm, you know, a young adult by this time, and, and I'm feeling like I'm making my own way, and I've got a little self-esteem about me. Now, here's the rub. You need self-esteem in life. You need to be able to believe in yourself. You need to be able to know with some confidence that you're going to be able to go out here and make your life decisions in such a way that's not going to absolutely wreck you. So we're not, when, we're, when we're talking about following your heart being a dangerous thing or, or not the best way to go about it, it's not like you can just completely jettison your heart and not listen to anything that you have to tell yourself. That's not a good way to live. <laughs> um, so the devil finds that rub and he finds the way to play you like a violin. He finds ways to say, hey Chris, so you did all this stuff and, and you wanted to do these things and you followed your heart and you did it and it worked out well. And, and then you had this situation over here and, and this is what you wanted to do about it and so you did. And it worked out well. And then he gradually, gradually gets you to where the only thing you're listening to is your own heart. And I was in a complete state of rebellion against my parents at that point, uh, not as having bad relationships with them or, or anything like that. It was just that I didn't want anything to do with the ways that they were trying to tell me to order my life because, hey, my heart's done okay for me so far. Why should I listen to what you're telling me? My heart's doing just fine. So then the series of rapid-fire, horrific, life-ruining mistakes happen because I follow my heart. Because I had so much trust in my own ability to determine my own course because of following my heart. I married the wrong person. Second wife, second wife, second wife. <laughs> um, I made horrible, horrible career uh, decisions. I decided that because I wanted to go do my own thing, I would go off and join the army, which is a great thing. I'm glad I did it. It's, it's very integral to who I am now because that's the way God works all things for good for those who love him. Um, but at the time, I walked away from a full-ride scholarship to do that. That was an idiot mistake. That's, a, that's the first thing I think of when Max says, uh, you know, you look back and you go, what was I thinking? That's the one. Uh, that one and that whole first marriage thing. But <laughs> um, this even went into my Christianity. And even after becoming a Christian, I still was just doing my own thing. A, I didn't know how to listen to God yet. And B, I really was treating him like the most divine fire insurance salesman ever. That's who Jesus was to me. He was the most divine fire insurance salesman, but, but not anyone who was going to change my life. And this really was only seven minutes when I timed it last night. I'm hurrying. Um, Right here sits a little girl who is the method by which God shook me out of this hole. 
I know what's going on and I can order my life. And, and yeah, I'll just keep, a, keep a, a nod to God, an open line of communication, but never really take him very seriously, never do anything about it, never let it change my life, let him change my life. But when Emily was born, she was born two months premature. And the doctors didn't know what was going to happen with her. She was a pound and 15 ounces when she was born. And the doctor came in. That day had started with a routine neonatal visit. And by that night, we're having emergency C-section. We don't know what's going to happen. She might die. It's a rapid transition to make. And that night, I hit my knees in a way that I never had before. Because before, the main thing that I would ever pray for was, okay, God, I know I'm kind of doing this my own way. Please forgive me. Okay, cool. Covered. I asked him to forgive me. It's all good. But that night, it was completely different. That night, it was, here's something that you absolutely love more than anything else in life. And there's nothing that you can do. Nothing that you can do. The doctors come in and say, man, we don't really know what's going to happen. There's nothing that we can do to let you know. We're going to try this. Hope it works. That was the first time that ever my life was completely and totally ripped out of my grasp in a way that it didn't matter about following my heart. My heart didn't have anything to say about it except to cry out. Long story short, because I'm too long already, um, Emily never had any time on a ventilator. Uh, She had a little bit of oxygen that first night. They said, the doctor said, now, because she's so early and because she's so small, when she comes out, she's going to be very lifeless. We're going to move her quickly to the incubator. Don't freak out when she doesn't cry or anything. God doesn't work like that all the time, though, because as soon as she came out, the first thing she did was stick her little fist in the air and go, ah! And I said, that's my rock and roll baby. <laughs> um, After this, my life has become a series of successes. My life's not great and wonderful. Well, it is great and wonderful. My life's not perfect, however. But that night taught me how to order my heart after God, to surrender to God. Because before that night played out, and we all now know the happy ending, the the important thing that often gets skipped is not just, you know, you have to go along with whatever God says or, or does in the situation. That's obvious. But before the resolution of the situation, he brought me to the point where I was going to be okay either way. I wasn't going to be happy if it had gone badly. But I knew that in the scope of eternity, I was going to be okay. Because that's a change that he made in my heart because of the desperation with which I had to seek him in that day. Don't just follow your heart. Follow God's leading of your heart. on about, I mean, you got a dichotomy, right? I mean, there are going to be these moments where you really want something really bad. So what do you do? What do you do when you're in a thing and in a situation and it's a car, it's a house, it's a person, it's a whatever it is. And, and you're like, you know, oh, I want this so bad. Oh, I want this so bad. Well, here's, here's a homework assignment. Here's a series of questions. All right. Question number one, why do I want this really? Why am I doing this? really question number two if someone were in my circumstances 
came to me for advice, what would I tell him or her to do? And if you would tell somebody else to do something different than what you're considering, it's a giant caution flag, okay? And then the last question is the Andy, Andy Stanley million dollar question, which is, in light of my past experiences, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? Not, not what do I want, what, what's the wise thing to do? For those of you that are older and wiser, I challenge you to reflect. Reflect on some of the decisions that you've made, right? Because reflected experience is king. Reflected experience can get you different places down the road. The real reason I filed for divorce is. The real reason we moved in together was. The real reason I won't call my kids is. The real reason that we have so much credit card debt is, okay? What's the real reason? So how do you avoid this pitfall? Right? If you find yourself in a situation, you really want something, how do you avoid it? Well, I'm going to give you some three things. Three things, okay? Thing number one, what does God have to say? What does the Bible have to say? Now, I know that biblical illiteracy is huge in America, right? So you may not know what's in this book cover to cover. If that's the case, go to a trained Pharisee. I am a trained Pharisee. It's there, if you've got a grandma living and it's Baptist grandma, she probably knows what's in here cover to cover. Just go to her with a hypothetical situation. She'll know it's not hypothetical, but that's okay. Just go, hey, grandma, I want to lay, lay this thing out for you. You know, what, is there anything in the Bible that, that bears on what I'm considering? It's, well, there was that time when Saul, King Saul went to the witch of Endor, and you know, she'll tell this long story, but then you know, you know there's a biblical principle. Okay, God does have something to say. This is what he has to say. So consult the Bible. If you're not sure what's in the Bible, consult a Pharisee or someone who knows what's in the Bible. They'll at least tell you what's in there, all right? So that's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is, what is the consistent leading of the Spirit in my life? What is the Spirit telling me? There's a promise at the end of Jeremiah, and it's kind of like the, the, the end cap to this, to this uh, chapter 17, verse 1, and it's found in Jeremiah 31, and this is what he says. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my instructions deep within them. I'll write them on their heart. I'll be their God, they'll be my people, they'll not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to greatest will know me. In other words, if you're a born-again born again believer, God has given you the Spirit inside of you. Now, reality is, you and I can dull the voice of the Spirit. Don't have inter any interfacing with Christian believers. Don't have any accountability in your life. Never crack open the Bible. Over time, the Spirit began. And you're like, what was that, God? I could speak up a little louder. So there are things that we can do that dull it, okay? But what is the consistent leading of the Holy Spirit? And last, seek out counsel. That's advice from godly men and women in your life. Seek out godly counsel. What do they have to say? And when those three things line up, you can almost foolproof your decisions. Let me ask you, if you're a teenager or you're 18 years old, what would it be like to get to 30 and not have any major regrets? Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on. That would be awesome. Take heed what we're talking about today. What if you're 30 or 35? What would it be like 
for the rest of your life not to have a, oh, what was I thinking moment. Check your heart and make sure that you're seeking God when your heart really, really wants something.